Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalli, a.k.a. MDV, and I'm sitting down once again with my main man, my co-host, Mr. Max Isaac, and we are talking about getting injured during training. And injuries are something that are a natural occurrence through physical activity, whether it's training, whether you're walking down the street. No matter how, quote-unquote, safe you think you are being, at some point you might encounter this type of adversity or some type of injury. Now, how you respond to that, the physical, the mental, and emotional baggage that comes with it is major key. So, in this episode, we will be talking about training injuries and the mindset to keep you on the up and up. But before we get into that, two things I want to make you aware of. Number one. If you are a coach or a gym owner out there and you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, we are doing the absolute best in providing world-class functional training and strength and conditioning program for your gym. Your athletes come into your gym, they wanna have a fantastic experience. We are giving them 365 days a year of the best workouts coupled with the best class plans so that your coaches can go out there and do their absolute best. This is the question of what do you do for coaching development solved in an instant. Your coaches will learn every single day, every single month, every single year and get better over and over and over again. This is a fantastic, fantastic service. Please check out the NC Fit Collective. Number two, if you're an athlete who's out there and you're listening to this podcast and you want to get down with some of my workouts, the NC Flex program is available through the NC Fit app. You can go and download that on the iOS app store. Look up the NC Fit app and pull up the NC Flex program. This is a program that's all about looking your best and feeling your best. We mix in functional strength with bodybuilding, with optional conditioning weekly so that you can look ripped, feel awesome, and then go out there and do all the things that you want to do outside of the gym. Those are the two things I want you to check out. The NC Fit Collective if you're a gym owner or coach and the NC Flex program if you're just looking to look really damn good. Now, without further delay, let's get into this one with my main man, Mr. Max Isaac, the one about injuries. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the intro. Sitting down with my main man, Mr. Max Isaac. And I had a mistimed coffee moment this morning where, Uh yeah, well, had my first cup of coffee right out of bed, yeah. coffee, but didn't uh, use the restroom before yeah. getting on the Zoom call here with you to record. Yeah. And uh, that's always a tragic mistake, right? The first cup of coffee leading into like a meeting or leading into a workout or leading into coaching or whatever, you have to make time to be yeah. before. Yeah, I've actually had uh, a couple of of almost mishaps. Um, <laughs> Close call. So yeah, so when I um when I coach early five fifteen six fifteen, um, I'll have my first cup of coffee around four forty five four fifty, and interestingly enough, like I'm good for that first hour of coaching. So like, I'll be fine, like 5.15 to 6.15. And I'll even be able to get into the 6.15. And then there are times where like, I'm not careful. It's like 6.45 and, uh, you know, my stomach drops directly into my tush. I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> like, I gotta get out of here. But um, anyway, I think I'm on, I think I'm on cup like two or three today. And I've got, I've got a lot done today. It's it's ten it's ten twenty three here on Sunday and um, I've been up since eight. I slept in today, 
So yeah. Oh yeah. Everything's good. We had, had a big breakfast. uh, And what's your favorite Sunday breakfast, Matt? Oh, this this is a good question. Um, I've got a couple of funny stories as well as the, uh, with the mistimed bathroom (laughs) coaching, but I also, there was, there's been some times, man, where I was, I like, not, not recently at all, you know, but back Mm -hmm, in the day, mm -hmm. you know, you're driving somewhere or whatever, and you're like, you have a few too many cups of coffee and then all of a sudden like it hits and then you're, you're not in an, in an area where you can stop right away. And you go through all the different phases of pure terror where, you know, you're like sitting up close to the steering wheel. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, you have to, you have, you have to use like, thank God I drive an automatic car because you have to use the left foot to kind of brace yourself <laughs> and sit up a little bit higher. Yeah, like you gotta sit every, high. Everything, everything is super tense. You're like, please, Lord, do not let me go over a pothole right now. <laughs> or like, I'm going to have to get a full detail of this car. Um, but so, I mean, I think for most people out there, like they've been in this situation where like you get eventually to the location where you know that you can use the restroom or whatever. And like the, the getting out of the car, like the slow wobble, the real slow, <laughs> you can't move fast. You like, you're trying to move fast, but you're actually like, it feels like you're moving through molasses. And but then, then it, it hits you 10 times harder when you're, the, your body knows that you're, that, that, <laughs> oh, yeah, that, you're that, that you're near the bathroom. Your body's like, well, let's do it. You're like, no. Yeah. Slow because down. you get to the place where you're going to go or whatever. And you get, you drop trowel and it's almost like it just is like, automatic like there's no <laughs> there was is no it, stopping it anymore when you get to the the place where you get to go is it trout or trout what's the what's the trout uh, or trousers oh trousers oh all right see that's a michael scott moment i thought it was about fishing yeah i thought <laughs> i thought it, <laughs> i drop thought it trout. was a, i thought it was a fishing term drop trout oh it makes sense yeah that's a that's a that's a um yeah God, that's like that's a michael french, scott moment french benefits versus fringe benefits right oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh the, the, in in the office it was like to spite her face or in spite of her face or something <laughs> like he he couldn't figure out what it was hey but really quick i i asked you what your favorite yeah. sunday breakfast was you did you did um i think my favorite sunday breakfast would be like three or four eggs over medium so that's no runny white. That's a uh, runny yolk. Flipped, flipped once over. Yep, over medium. Um, some kind of like real hearty, um, like homemade or like uh, home baked, like sourdough or something like mm, that. Like something that's very trendy. Yeah, yeah. Super. I, I listen. I've got to stay up with the trends, man. Um, bacon, like a thick cut bacon. A uh, big bowl of fresh fruit, maybe like a side of like rosemary potatoes or something like that. Wow! Some fresh avocado. Like I think that that's probably my my go to favorite Sunday. I'm not a big like um, pancake or waffle or those types of things, guy. Well, that w- that wouldn't work for the one plate rule because your your plate would be filled with the pancake that and you wouldn't be able to eat, you wouldn't be able to eat anything else. <laughs> Which, um, by the way. I have been um, I have been doing that since you've been posting about it, which is which is the one plate. I do I do really like it. Now on that one plate, it's a Big Mac, fries, ten piece McNugget. No, I'm just kidding. But 
I, uh, I, I do really like the, do really like the one plate thing. Uh, also my favorite Sunday breakfast, almost exact same thing. I think that cooking eggs over medium is the best way to cook eggs. Oh, I think boy. that it's so good. It's really easy. Everybody's got their, you know, uh, I, I saw this meme. It was like, you know, you're in your thirties when you have a favorite pan and a favorite burner on your stove. I have both. I got a fa- <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, front, right, favorite, favorite burner. And I got my favorite pan that's um, that you can cook anywhere between four to six eggs over medium. And that's, you know, I got that good flip action going and then always finish with, um, it's the only thing that I've learned from cooking shows, flaky salt. You put flaky salt on anything and you're pretty much a Michelin star chef. Um, but that's, and also homemade sourdough is my favorite. I like to go a little, a little bit further down um, the basic bish uh, rabbit hole. And I like to take that fresh avocado and mash it on top of my toast. Some avocado and, toast. Yeah. And then I like to finish with that everything but the bagel seasoning. Have you ever had that? Yeah, it's pretty legit. I got it in my cabinet right now. It's, it's definitely a staple in our household. Um, so yeah. Oh, and maybe um, some pickled red onions on top of the, the avocado toast. Cause that's really good too. Yeah. That's a, that's another trendy thing right now is pickled red onions, but I don't think anything had a bigger glow up over the past, like uh, maybe like five to seven years than avocado and the avocado and kale definitely like <laughs> definitely stole the spotlight for a while. Everybody was eating kale nonstop for a while. That kind of fell out of the, um, the popularity yeah. recently, but I, I have two, I have two good kale stories. The first one is apparently in like the 1990s and early 2000s, the biggest um, biggest buyer of kale was, I think they said it was like Pizza Hut. And because Pizza Hut used to use the kale to like line one of their like hot bars, like, or one of their cold that bars. Was the like, <laughs> that yeah, was the like number that, one reason people were using kale. <laughs> right, like it wasn't to eat. It was like, you know, for garnish. presentation. Yeah, it was garnish. And then the, the second thing is, um, I've talked before about my experience uh, early on with, with paleo. The first one being that I only ate Lara bars. And then um, Ben, Ben Bergeron was like, Hey, so how's paleo going? I'm like, yeah, I'm eating a lot of Lara bars. He's like, well, just go ahead and eat fun dip. That'll probably be a little bit better. But then I went, I went, I went from eating Lara bars to only eating the Olivia's containers of baby kale I would eat that with like a little bit of like balsamic uh, vinaigrette and olive oil and hard boiled eggs. That was like that. That was like my meal for like three meals out of the day. First off, I smelled terrible. <laughs> like smelled terrible. And like the only other seasoning that I would have was my tears into the salad for how disgusting that meal was. Like baby kale meal. Yeah, yeah, baby kale, <laughs> balsamic vinaigrette, tears, and hard boiled eggs. So. I love eggs. I love eggs, but hard boiled eggs, man, are, are like a different beast. Only, Disgusting. I can only eat them if they're like doused in salt and pepper. Like that's the only time or even, um, uh, mustard, mustard, De- deviled eggs, deviled eggs. I yeah. can do because they're more delicious, but like yeah. people who are just munching on hard boiled eggs. And first of all, if you bring hard boiled eggs on an airplane, fuck you. Don't bring hard boiled <laughs> eggs on an airplane. People's air, I don't care like if you're a fitness god, figure out how to not eat the stinkiest food in the world on an airplane. 
people's rules on airplanes get all messed up. People take off their shoes. They're putting their feet on the back of your seat. They're eating hard boiled eggs. Like they're letting their kid running up and down the aisle. I'm trying to trip them as they're running. Like, well, I just, I just posted something about this in, in one of my, in one of our closed Facebook groups for one of our gyms, which is the people that stand up as soon as the flight lands. And they're, they're, I actually thought that this is kind of like no nonsense. Everybody feels the same way. There were some people that are totally fine. They're like, no, as soon as the plane lands, I'm going to, as soon as the plane lands, I'm going to stand up. I think, um, no, know your role and shut your mouth. No, know your role <laughs> in that you only stand up when maybe the, the, the row, two rows in front of you is, is ready to go. Like, I just think it's so rude to be pushing to the front as soon as, as soon as it lands, unless of course you have some, you know, you, you got to get onto this connecting flight. You got it. But then if that's the case, I want to see the ticket. (laughs) Um, I travel a lot and I travel a lot for work over the years and I have a strict rule on this. Talk to me. Standing up is okay standing up where you're sitting standing up in the aisle that you occupy is okay okay get up stretch your legs out a little bit feel the flow of the blood back through your body but there is no moving forward there's no moving forward and that counts for everybody behind us too we all have places to be. Everybody's got places to go. I hate this, <laughs> this mindset of people, these dummies that get on these airplanes, that when they land, they stand up and grab their bags and try to walk forward and try to like get into the galley where everybody else is trying to get their shit and get off the plane. Those but you wouldn't people have a special you wouldn't, place in hell. You wouldn't stop somebody though. Oh, I've stood. Yeah, man. What you do and you start to see this stuff happen. When you know people don't have connections because they're really not like, they're not jonesing to get off the plane. They're just like, they look like complete dumbasses who are trying to stand up and like go and get like off of the plane for some normal reason. You just get in the aisle and you stand there and you ignore them. Yeah. Well, and also nobody would talk to you and mess with you because you got tats and you got a beard and you have a good resting bitch face. I do have the good, I do have a good resting bitch face. But anybody who has a connection, what will happen is they will ask politely normally, or they will yeah. say, hey, I have a connection. Do you think I can get by? Anybody who doesn't have a legit reason, who's just being an asshole, will just wait because they know deep down they're just being an asshole. So you got to yeah. stop them. You got you to get in the aisle. Okay. Yeah. This is also why, I, this is why I'm glad that I don't, that I don't travel a lot. Like I, I think I'm a good flyer, but I don't, I don't like traveling a lot. Um, I'm a horrific, I'm a horrific flyer. I, I travel a lot and it is probably my least favorite thing to do. I hate flying. I hate it. Could you ever become a pilot? Because one of my, think about it. Cause one, one of my friends right now is um, he's got his pilot pilot's license and he is actually thinking about making a huge career switch and he wants to become a pilot for like UPS or FedEx. And I got, I'm going to drop some flight facts on you right now. Cause he was just talking to me about this. Drop Apparently it. by the year 2030, 30 to 40% of the current 
airline pilots will be retired and they are having a really hard time backfilling these positions. So um, major airlines are trying to incentivize people to uh, become pilots right now. So they are doing things like paying for trainings, you know, they're, 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 doing, they're doing all of these other things. Now, the other interesting fact about being a pilot is um, you are only allowed to fly, uh, I think it's a thousand hours a year. So you're capped off at a thousand hours a year. So um, I'm gonna do some quick math for do you. Some quick math. In terms of so whether or not I could be a pilot, I, I probably could, and I probably would appreciate more of the knowledge than being scared out of my fucking mind sitting in the seat every time we go over some turbulence, but continue. So in a, in a year, there are 8,760 hours. Mm. Of those 8,760, um, if you get yeah. eight hours, 8,000, sorry. If you get eight hours of sleep, that's about 2,900 hours. So, oh, you're really doing the full math here. So that leaves five, 5,840 hours. And only a thousand of those, you, you could have a whole nother full-time job. And this is, this is what he was saying that he thinks is really attractive is you fly for a thousand hours. Now it doesn't take into account the amount of time that it takes to get to the airport, stuff like that. But essentially you could have a whole nother career. So he's, give, he's given it a, given it a, a, a thought. For me personally, no freaking chance would I ever become a pilot. That is um, a no-go from me. Because granted, sometimes I get a little bit scared when I'm on the highway and I go over 65 miles per hour. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I, I like to keep things really nice, low, and slow. Uh, but you know, we are- You don't want to be going 350 miles an hour at 30,000 feet in a is that how fa th thunderstorm. I don't know. I think it's something it, around there. That, yeah, that sounds terrifying. But you know, I think we both can agree that no matter what, there is absolutely no place for clapping when the the plane lands. Plane lands. Well, that yeah. used to be a um, it used to be like a tradition back in the day that when oh. the plane would have like a um, safe and very smooth landing, everybody would would clap. Um, so that, that was like that was like back with the Wright brothers. Is that correct? No, 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 no. That was like <laughs> um, I think even through like the eighties and nineties, I remember some of that stuff. I've, I've been on planes more recently where, um, you know, we've had a landing or we've had weather uh, or you get to a destination where everybody's happy to be. Like sometimes they clap when you get to Hawaii um, or, you know, if it's a bumpy flight and you get down, um, I've, I've had people clap. But, uh, dude, I, I've been on some flights that have been absolute nightmares that have changed my perception of flying forever. Um, I was on a flight in Singapore in which the fucking drinks hit the ceiling. It was so turbulent. It was like, it, we're on the biggest plane ever invented by man. Like one of these triple decker things with this fucking spiral staircase and the drinks hit the ceiling. And I was like, this is it. Like this, this humongous plane is screwed and we're all screwed in it. And that's the thing that bothers me about, and this is a probably interesting topic to lead into um, what we actually want to talk about, which is, injuries in training but you know one of the things that bothers me about flying is the fact that once you cross the threshold into the plane once you're on the plane once you decide to buckle your seatbelt and you go okay well i'm going 
you have completely conceded control to the pilot and to being on the plane. Like there's nothing that you can do once you're on the plane to get off of the plane. Like the only thing that happens is that you get to your destination, God willing. Right. And you know, that, that's something that I think admittedly, a lot of us, if we think about it, struggle with is, is focusing on things or trying to control things that we can't control. Right. And Mm. there's a lot of power in focusing on what you can control and trying to not spend as much energy and angst and all these other things in trying desperately to focus on things you, you cannot control. And in terms of what what were you going to say, excuse me. No, that's remember. I mean, that was the big, that was the big talk that Ben always used to give us the circle, circle of control and circle of concern. And it's, it's a great talk. It's a great talk. You know, I'm, I'm not sure where where it actually came from you know but it's something that ben used to talk to us a lot about and something that i actually talk to our members and um people that i'm doing this virtual um coaching uh coaching stuff with now is that circle of control and circle of concern so i'm i'm with you here yeah i certainly you know when we were at crossfit new england um i think one of the coolest parts about being at crossfit new england and coaching on that team was that we did have um, some insight into these conversations that Ben would have with his classes or have with us as coaching teams and um, him encouraging us to be comfortable with our own versions of these talks or finding points that we were really passionate about and being able to express them, I think, you know, in a way that is, you know, not only um, captivating for the members, but also, you know, sensitive to the members and their position and their roles in life. You know, I think that that's, that's a real skill for coaches out there because there is a lot of knowledge that people have in fitness and coaching and all this kind of stuff in life in general and how you can apply some of these principles to things outside of the gym. But I've also seen a lot of coaches mess it up where they end up being too preachy or kind of talking to, to down to these members who are sitting there a lot of them having a lot more life experience or a lot more um, time under tension in certain types of situations. And it can feel a little cringeworthy when you have, you know, maybe like a 25 year old snot nosed kid at the front of the room who's going, this is really important, you know, focusing on what you can control and focusing on not or versus what's outside of your control. And, you know, this is how you take it into your life. And like, you look out into your class and you got people who are in their forties and their fifties who are like multimillionaires over, or like, you know, have a lot of success in their life and their relationships or whatever. It just, <clears throat> it takes skill to be done well is what I'm saying. There's definitely 100%. a level of cringe that can come with it. Um, mm. But you know, this, the focusing on what you can control versus what's out of your control goes all the way back to at least stoic philosophy and probably uh, far, far before that. Um, but you know, definitely comes up in a lot of the things that I read in daily stoic. Uh, it's one of the core guiding principles. And, um, in terms of physical training and what we wanted to talk about today, there will be times whether or not it's, you are feeling beat up because, you know, you might've trained too hard or you did something in particular that beat you up and you're feeling really sore. 
And there's other times when you might be feeling like you tweaked something a little bit, <clears throat> you, you moved the wrong way. Although you had the best intentions, you were moving with the right kind of weight, you were not being reckless, maybe just moved the wrong way, you did something and, you know, it's feeling like a little bit tweaky. And then there's the, <clears throat> beyond that, you know, the length of injury that you can go through is, you know, you get to a point where you're feeling something where you're like, oh, fuck, like, I might have to see a radiologist for some imaging and then go to an orthopedist to have them assess what's going on. The spectrum is really wide in terms of injuries and training or soreness and training. Um, you know, ultimately, I think I've been really lucky in a lot of my years in training where I haven't had any real big debilitating injuries. I've certainly had a couple that have been bothersome and taken some time where I've had to recover and I've been a knucklehead and probably set myself back a little further. Um, but knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, I have, have been pretty lucky, but right now I am going through some stuff that's a little challenging with my hips that hopefully I get figured out. Um, but Max, in your experience, <clears throat> have you ever been saddled with any real significant injuries, you know, come up through training or anything like that? Uh, well, no, but first off, one, one thing I do want to talk about before I get into my own stuff is what you talked about with injury in that unless you live in a bubble, anything that you do has some risk associated For with sure. it, right? And this is one thing that like, I love that you said, you're like, hey, you could have been moving with the best intention and you could still sustain an injury. So is life. This is like, this is all part of it, right? Like the balancing act is really, really hard, especially when you really love some of the stuff that, that you're doing. So to, to, to answer your question, no, you know, I've, I've never, knock on wood, um, sustained uh, a serious injury. And a serious injury being something that required, um, you know, imaging or significant time away from my normal activity level. Uh, the most serious injury I've ever sustained um, was dropping a Cuisinart blade on my foot. I remember this. And um, <laughs> I had to, first off, I thought I could have it um, fixed with um, butterfly bandages and quickly figured out that wasn't a good idea. Anyway, I, uh, I got stitches and this was back when we were, you know, trying to be competitors in CrossFit. And there was that open workout with clean and jerks and toes to bar seven minutes up ladder by three still completed that workout with a boot on stupid. So that's, this is a great example, completely unnecessary. Should have never, should have never done that. I had uh, a boot on stitches in my foot and did a workout with toe to bar and clean and jerks. Really not a good idea. So um, never, never sustained uh, an injury from training. With that said, um, I have throughout the years tweaked my back a handful of times. Yeah. And, um, this, I, I, this happens to, to a lot of people. And I remember like the first time it happened to me, I was like, Oh my God, like I'm going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. And now that, you know, my, my wife is a PT, she like actually explains what's happening, why it's happening. And I can, you know, normally remedy it in like two days or a day, you know? Um, so but that, that is something that, um, that will happen like once a year, you know, I'll sometimes have a little tweak in my back and most of the time it's, um, built up from, from the week of training. 
Yeah, wear you know? and tear. Yeah. Let's talk about the spectrum of injury for a second, because I think that this is something that um, I know a lot of athletes might want to hear or coaches might want to be reminded of. And, you know, it, you were correct in saying that in any physical activity or in any, really any life ac- activity, there is a, a risk to injury, right? Yep. Now, obviously, if you're taking yourself into a very physical based environment, whether that's functional training or jujitsu. And when you add intensity into those things, whether that's in functional training, adding speed or adding load or in jujitsu, where you're adding more intensity to your rolling, you're going harder or you're, you know, you're uh, going against people who are going to go equally as hard. There are higher chances of injury. That's just natural. That's not, I'm not, poo-pooing anything on either side of those equations. I'm not saying that you shouldn't work out hard. I'm not saying you shouldn't do jujitsu hard, but it's just a fact that once you get the kinetic energy going, once you start moving faster with heavier loads or with somebody else who's combating against you, there are more opportunities to tweak or pull or, you know, God forbid, break or snap or anything like that. You just have to be aware of that. And I think that that's something that's really important is that you have to, in some ways, check your ego in terms of what are you training for and where are you at in your training journey? And this is super fucking hard to do. It's super hard to do because what will happen is you get this taste of like glory. You get this taste of feeling something go really well, or you feel you're feeling like a million bucks, or, you know, you start to really go, well, maybe I can go, I can go harder. uh, Even though I've only been doing this thing or this move or this X, Y, or Z for a couple of weeks. And usually, that's not necessarily what you want to do. And it's hard in the moment to recognize that what you probably should do is play the long game and think about you know, train to train another day and being honest with yourself about, you know, I'm still a beginner, I should probably just chill a little bit. Or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a little bit beat up today, I should probably chill a little bit x, y, or z, you know, those kinds of self assessments are really, really critical. And you have to be constantly running them in your head, not only in the macro cycle of where you're at in your training of like, how many months or weeks or years I've been doing this and how much experience I have and how well do I move and where do I know my strengths and weaknesses are, but also in the micro version of how am I just feeling today at this time for this workout? You have to run both of those equations constantly in terms of what's the best way for me to approach this workout today or this rolling session today. It doesn't matter whether it's in the gym or jujitsu, but um, it's really important. I think a lot of athletes tend to uh, gloss over that more than they should. You should spend a lot more time thinking about that. Well, yeah. And this is the, I mean, this just comes with, with time, right? Like I know back when I first started doing CrossFit, like I couldn't imagine like missing a workout or I couldn't imagine like modifying a workout or bring my intensity down, right? Like it just, it, it was like it, every day felt like it, it just mattered like so much. And, 
you know, if, if, if I'm not doing something, it's like the FOMO was real. So-and-so is doing this, blah, blah, blah. And like, the best thing that's ever happened to me is that like, I've been training, you know, now in CrossFit for over 10 years. And I just have such a better outlook towards training. And like, here's like a perfect example. Um, this past Saturday, uh, Britt and I went away to, to New Hampshire and we, uh, we were, we're on vacation. Like we were having a weekend to ourselves and there is a, there's a CrossFit gym in, in the area. And before, before we'd gone away, I'm like, Hey, you know, it'll be really nice to just like do something low key. Like maybe we just like go for a run together. Like no matter what, every day I do like to do something, whether it's body. Oh, right. I, I, it's just, it's just who I am. And then I like, oh, I found this CrossFit gym and I like called ahead to see like what the workout was. And it was like, oh, it was like a workout that I really liked. But also the workout had like tons of hinging. It was like rowing burpees over the rower and toes to bar, like all hinging. But I'm like, oh, it's a sick workout. Like we should go. Well, like, what do you think happened? I tweaked my back. Like I, I, I had had a really, really big week of training where I had done a lot of stuff I hadn't done in a long time. Like I had done like a lot of handstand walks. I haven't handstand walked in God knows how long. We had, we had deadlifted heavy. We had squatted heavy. We had like done all this stuff. And like tweaking my back was really like, cool. I know exactly what I should have done, which was I should have done what I said, which is like, I wanted, I should have done something low key. We were on vacation, but like the, the couple examples, first thing I'm, I'm trying to point out here is like, no, no, no matter what, you could have 10, 15 years of training, you're still going to quote unquote make mistakes. And that to me was like, it was a big mistake. And I like, I like didn't feel sorry for myself, but I'm like, no, you're an idiot. Like you really should have just rested. Um, and then the, the, the second thing was, like I just said, um, it took me 36 hours to feel better. Mm. You know, Brittany, she's, I mean, she's phenomenal. Like she treated me, gave me some exercises to do. Like I went through them 36 hours later. And again, this is not a great example. Like we did Murph and it was fine. You know, I just, but I modified it. I didn't wear a vest and I did it strict mm. and it was, and it was fine. But anyway, the example I'm trying to give is, is that no, no, no matter how long you have, you know, under your belt training, you're still going to make some mistakes. You're still going to get, get caught up in yeah. things. And um, the other thing is that like, it's not always an opportunity. You don't always need to freak out about what's happening. Like, you know, well, so I, I, I think that this is probably this, this idea that I can't miss a workout or I've got to be in the gym every day, or um, I'm going to be missing out, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to get my gains. Um, I don't think that this is unique to functional training slash CrossFit. I, I used to think that it was very, very unique to functional training slash CrossFit. I don't think that's the case because I've seen it happen in other disciplines over the years. Uh, I've seen it happen with Peloton, spin classes, with jujitsu, with other types of training, with Olympic weightlifting, with powerlifting. People get really caught up in these things. It becomes something that they really enjoy doing. And that's awesome. I think that these are fantastic outlets. But there is a, there is a moment at which you cross a threshold in which you go, I am consciously going into this environment 
knowing that I sh probably shouldn't be going into this environment because of how many days I trained or how I feel, or, you know, uh, I might be particularly beat up from a, a workout from the day before, but I, I normally train today. So I am, I'm going to be here anyway. That exists, I think, in a lot of disciplines and a lot of fitness outlets. I do think it exists even more powerfully sometimes in certain functional training CrossFit environments because of the desire for intensity and the really unique type of way that certain workouts are done and performed and the rallying of the people in those communities um, around certain things. It can lead to a lot of pressure for the person feeling like you have to go and work out no matter what self-imposed yeah. pressure and then also community-based pressure but let me tell you something let me this is i want to make this very clear one workout does not fucking matter one workout does not matter one week of workouts doesn't really matter doesn't matter at all you can even extend that out probably to a couple of weeks worth of workouts they don't really matter that much. What matters is this long game, the workouts over time, the amount of consistency over long periods of time, the decisions that you're going to be making in the kitchen over a long period of time. Those are the things that really matter. It, that one workout where you're saying, I'm beat to fucking shit. I feel like trash, but this is my favorite workout that I have to go do. That's that, that workout that you want to go do so badly because of whatever reason you want to go there, that doesn't matter. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter to you because you love doing it. I'm saying it, it doesn't matter in terms of how it's going to impact your fitness positively. Like you going to do a workout when you know you should rest. That is a decision I think that a lot of us have to be better at making where we have to be more honest with ourselves that we have to say, I need a little bit of rest here because what happens is you, you get, you only get so many bullets there. You only get so many times when you can kind of like trick the devil. And then at some point you get hurt and that's when you're on the couch for weeks or months at a time. And that's what matters. The inability to train consistently over the course of months because you're so banged up or so injured or so debilitated, that's where you don't want to be. So I think that we all have to have a little bit more sense and sensibility about some of the decisions that we make when we feel like, Hey, we're at that threshold, we're right at that threshold where I know I need to rest, but I'm also really going to miss being in the gym today. Right. And that's, so that's actually a, a super important point to make, which is, you know, for, for a lot of us, uh, I mean, myself included, I really just love being in the gym with my people and it's a really great outlet. And so one thing that I've been way better at now, granted Saturday was a, a lapse in judgment. You know, I have been way better at recognizing when I'm very sore, when I need to bring the intensity level down and when to modify things. And I'm getting better at it. My coaches are getting better at it. And the nice thing is, is that when your members see the owner and the coach modifying for whatever reason, it makes it way easier for them 
to come up and be like, Hey, you know, I'm like, I'm really sore. Like a great example is last week around the world, everybody does the workout Murph, right? So it's like, everybody's incredibly sore. So we had a number of people come and talk to us about modifying the workouts for the week. Like, Hey, you know, I'm really sore. Need to need to dial it back. Can you help me out? Great. Super easy to do. And like, I'm happy to hear that. Like, I'm glad that you're still in the gym, but Hey, maybe we just need to worry about like moving for quality or maybe it's like, we just need to take a day and do some spinning on the bike and do some stretching and still hang out at the gym because, you know, for, for, for a lot of people, the, the mental relief they get from being in the gym maybe outweighs like the physical gains that they make on a, on a daily basis. Mm. Well, Mm. that's that's a good point that you made about, um, coaches and owners needing to make the right decisions, not only for themselves, that's very important. You have to make them for yourselves, but also making them for your members. And if you find that you can't make them for yourself, making them for your members is equally, if not more important, because all these athletes are always watching the coaches. They're always watching Mm -hmm. the coaches. They're watching what they do. They watch what they say. They watch how they train. And if the coach is constantly nagging about, oh, I'm, I'm training right now, but I'm really, oh, dude, I'm suit my, my shoulder is really sore. Or like, I'm really, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or, you know, uh, my back, I've tweaked my back, but, you know, I can warm it up to the place where I can move and still feel pretty good. That's like, I'm saying these things because I've said them before, but I also know that a lot of other coaches have said them as almost like a badge of honor. Like it's almost sometimes like we got confused that training through pain and training through injury was something that was cool. Like, and I, I don't, I don't know where that mindset came from. I think like you might've hit the nail on the head where, you know, it's FOMO. It's everybody trying to be, you know, a little bit better than the day before it's, it's wondering whether or not this person is training when you're not training. And the, the best analogy that I can have for that is like, when I was in law school, man, that was the mindset that a lot of people took to studying, where they got completely obsessed with what everybody else was doing, that it impacted them so much. It impacted how they would live their lives or how they would study or how they would take their test. And ultimately, like we started this episode talking about, what everybody else is doing doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't impact you in the slightest. We have no, first of all, you have no real idea of what everybody else is doing. You just see the surface of what they do. Secondly, you can't control them. You can't control whether or not they're going to train nonstop or they're going to um, train through injury or they're going to do you know, the additional studying that you uh, think, quote unquote, think you should be doing, but they're doing up all late at night in the library or whatever. Like it's all stuff that's outside of your control. The only thing that you can control, we can control is our own actions and reactions and our own mindset and our own preparation and making sure that those things are dialed in as best we can. But when we start worrying about all these exterior factors, you end up playing this impossible game where you're with yourself where ultimately it either ends up with you being number one, probably disappointed or frustrated 
Number two, probably feeling like you're playing behind the eight ball to whatever thing or person you're comparing yourself to. And then number three, in terms of like fitness and health, you might get fucking injured doing this stuff because you're constantly outside of your own head thinking about other people. You got to be inside your own head thinking about you all, all the time. I know it sounds selfish, but you are the thing that matters in this equation, you and your body and the decisions that you make. Yeah. I don't think that's selfish. I think that's, that's appropriate for what we're talking about. You're not talking about like in your life, only think about yourself. You're like, no, in, in training, think about yourself. That's what matters. Cause ultimately that's what you're working on. The, the pursuit of fitness and, and health and wellness starts with you. It, it ends with you now. Now, granted something I have, you know, this is, this is not the topic for today, but something I have been talking to, um, a lot of people about I'm in these small coaching groups with a company that has people from around the world that I'm, um, I'm getting to coach is it does make it easier to do this stuff with other people. That's why, you know, why I think that, you know, good community-based gyms work really well. Also why I think it's really wonderful if, you know, you and your partner, you know, in, enjoy like working out or enjoy, you know, a health and wellness pursuit together is it does really make this stuff way, way easier and just more fun in general. But I don't think that that's a selfish stance at all, which is, I mean, when I taught kindergarten, I told all my kindergartners, worry about yourself. Like, <laughs> like, you know, and it, it's actually a, a, a pretty good rule for, for a lot of things that's in life, rule. which is, worry, worry about yourself. You know, you see a lot of people getting up on the plane, pushing to the front, worry about yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we all have places <laughs> to be. Yeah, we all, we all have, we all have places to be people to see. Um, but, um, but I think you make a good point there about, um, you know, there is that po obviously there's that positive side to community-based fitness it's something that you know creates accountability you enjoy going there you enjoy doing the things with your people and yes i do think it's really important that um you know you have some people that you can share this stuff with if you're if you're lacking that discipline or that that motivation this can be something that you can tap into and kind of cultivate some of that like it if you're not incredibly self-motivated for fitness it's hard for some people to you know even if they have all of the shit all of the gear the peloton bike the garage gym whatever or you just have a stack of dumbbells it can be really hard to self-motivate to go oh man i just finished a day's worth of work and now i'm staring at the stack of dumbbells over here and i know that i have time to do a workout that's tough. That's really, really hard because it grinds against me a lot of times. I, I don't always want to go and work out. Um, more often than not, I will make the decision to go and train if I'm feeling, feeling good or uh, if I know that, hey, I can, I'm not injured right now. I can just go and, and warm up and I'll start to feel good. But a lot of people really enjoy the ritual of like getting out of the house and going to the gym and seeing the people and, and that gives them the boost that they need. I love that. I'm not trying to take any of that away. Um, but there's gotta be that counterbalance of, I, I, you need to know when you, you should rest because if you keep pushing through those feelings of, 
minor tweaks or pain or um, you get to the point where you go, oh, mm, that didn't feel good. I think we've all been there. And my encouragement to anybody who's listening is just pay more attention to that stuff. You know, God willing, if you feel something like that, that it's not something that needs medical intervention right away, right? Like, hopefully it doesn't, but it might, it might. So don't ignore those signals, right? Your body is telling you stuff. It's giving you information. And you know, yes, there's this thing where your body gets sore after doing work, right? Like it's repairing itself. And yes, you can train through some of that. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't always just train when you feel like a billion dollars, but there's a difference between soreness and injury. And I think we all know that. And I'm, my biggest encouragement coming out of this, and I do want to talk about some other stuff. My biggest encouragement is just respect that line and be aware of that line. And when you get to the point where you're like, I don't know what's going on, but this is really starting to feel like something that's an issue or could be an issue. You have to, you have to get it evaluated. You have to talk to people, talk to your coach, go see a PT, go see if it's to the point where you're having like severe limitations in range of motion, or like you move a certain way and you have these sudden shocks of pain, like go see an orthopedist. Like these are the types of people that you should go see. Yes. Talk to your coach. Of course, I'm not saying go around that person, but coach PTs, and then up the chain of command from there, depending on the, the severity of the injuries, for sure. Well, any, any good coach knows his or her limitations. And that's something that I talk to people about all the time. Hey, I am uh, not a doctor. I'm not here to diagnose anything. I know it sounds like silly, but like, I'm having those conversations a lot. Hey, I'm going to give you, you know, my, my two cents on this based on my experience. Um, but also part of being a good coach is knowing when to tell you, Hey, this is actually not my area of expertise. Um, I think that, you know, I could, you know, give you, you know, recommendation of, of who to talk to about this or where to go, but it, it, it is, it is important to be able to tell people like, Hey, I'm actually not the right person to, to, to talk to about this because, um, you could get yourself into a, a, a lot of trouble. I'm not talking about like you know, legal trouble, which you probably could. I'm just talking about like trouble with that person. Like, God forbid you like, you know, somebody, somebody comes up to you like, Hey, I think I'm dealing with like this injury, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Oh, probably just soreness. Like you can, you can, you can like work through this. And then it's like (laughs) something substantial happens. It's like, probably should have just told the person like, Hey, I'm not the right person to talk to, you know, I'll give you my advice, but I, you know, I, I, I I don't know, but. um, Well, I think that, you know, my opinion on this is that coaches need to, they need to understand the situation. And like you said, the, the limitation, the extent of their knowledge, right? So if you're working with this person who you've seen for an abundance of workouts, right? Like it's not just like a one-off thing. It's not a person who crosses the threshold for the first time. And they're talking to you about this thing in those situations, you have to be incredibly, incredibly careful. If you don't know the person as an athlete at all, if you don't have any training experience with them, like the amount of advice and the depth of advice needs to be very, very carefully articulated. Mm -hmm. But if you know this person and you've seen them train for a long time, you have an understanding of their training history, you have an understanding of maybe some of the stuff that they've dealt with in the past. You have, I think, in my opinion here, 
some freedom in how you can navigate these conversations in talking to the person about, oh, is this something that you know, you've experienced in the past? Or is this something that we've worked through in the past? Or, you know, is this a historic thing that you've been dealing with for a long time? Or did this just happen? Like, there's information that you can kind of pull out of that person to give them some insight into whether or not like, oh, yeah, you're, you, you are more than likely just sore from whatever happened a few days ago. And if you don't have any real sharp pain, if it just feels like normal soreness, we can modify, or we can lower the load, or we can change the movement up, or blah blah blah. But you know, in terms of like, if somebody doesn't have a diagnosis, if if somebody comes to you and they're an, an athlete in your gym in your community, and they're like, "Man, I feel like I might have torn my X, Y, or Z, or I have like some really severe pain when I go through this range of motion," and you're like, "God, you like those should be like flashing red lights in your head," be like. Oh, okay. They're saying severe pain, beyond soreness, uh, feel like I might have torn something, whatever, clicking, popping, all those kinds of things. At that point, you don't have fucking x-ray vision. You don't have MRI vision. If they don't have a diagnosis, this is just my opinion. If they don't have a diagnosis, because they haven't seen anybody, the number one thing that that coach should do in the moment is, first of all, I should say, you should say, you should go see a professional doctor or PT about this injury, because we do not know the extent of it. You don't have a diagnosis. You haven't been through treatment. You aren't cleared for exercise right now. Cool. If they go, yeah, but everything else feels fine, right? Like, let's just say the injury is isolated to like a certain part of the body, the elbow or the wrist, for example, they're like, oh, everything else feels fine. I want to train today. My advice there would say, okay, if everything else is feeling fine, if you don't have any other symptoms beyond, you know, the, the acute thing that's happening in the wrist or the elbow or wherever it is, you can say, let's completely avoid that area for this workout. Completely avoid it. Pain-free range of motion, completely. No touching, no using that joint, that limb or whatever. And be mindful that if you start to feel any different or if you start to feel pain or soreness, even though you're not using it, you should stop the workout and then we should initiate next steps right away. But I do recommend that you go and see a PT or an orthopedist very soon. You know, those are the kinds of conversations I think that, in my opinion, coaches should be having in terms of soreness and injury. Um, and they're challenging because, you know, sometimes you want to show off whether it's your knowledge or you want to like, help this person and you want to get them something that could be a substitute for the workout. But, you know, if they're in real pain or if they say something where they think, Hey, I might be injured and they don't have a diagnosis yet, you got to be super fucking careful, man. Yeah. I think that's a good, uh, good, good order of events. Uh, what were the, you said you had some other, some other topics you wanted to get to. Well, I wanted to talk about this idea of like, you know, when you, everybody's been injured to different extents, right? Like you've, even you, you haven't had serious injuries. Awesome. But you've, you've had some tweaks and stuff that like you've been yeah. beat up. And I, I want to just recognize that it's mentally challenging for everybody. Oh my God. It's so hard. You know, you go from being this very physical human being and you feel like you're on top of the world and everybody probably has felt that to different degrees. Once they start like really clicking in a fitness program, right? You're like, I'm unstoppable. And then all of a sudden you're stoppable. And mm. it's very, it's very hard to recognize that number one, 
more often than not, all of these things will or can be resolved somehow, whether or not yeah. that with rest or time or PT exercises or surgical intervention or whatever it is, there's usually a light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully. You know, obviously right. there are some very tragic injuries that happen that don't have that. But, um, you know, in terms of most sporting injuries, there is recovery. Number two, if it's not a completely debilitating injury, and, and again, I'm not trying to be insensitive to anybody who's had those at all. If, if you've had them, fuck, man, I can't even imagine. Like, that's a whole nother level. But most injuries, when they happen, if they're isolated to smaller body parts or an isolated area, and they're not systemic or if they're not like a major joint, you can still do some stuff. You can still do certain things. Yes, you might have to modify a lot and you might have to take time off where you don't do anything, but there's still things likely you can do, even if that thing is just walking. Even if that thing is just getting outside and walking for 10 or 20 or 30 minutes, that is far better than doing nothing. And, right. and, I, and if there's not walking, gosh, you can focus on controlling your nutrition, your sleep, your stress. Hydration. Level. Yeah, hydration. All of those things always, almost always, remain in your control, right? And the thing that you can't do in the in the injury world is just let yourself go down this deep, dark hole of this is going to be forever. And this sucks. And this is terrible. And this is going to last. And it's so painful. And I can't do anything. And I might as well just sit on the couch and, you know, order Domino's every night. It, it, right. It's super well, tempting, but got to try to focus on what you can control. I, I agree. I think I have a kind of asterisk to this. I actually think it's important first to let yourself be a little bit upset. Like, I'm not saying sure. to, to, to throw a pity party, but I think it's like, I think first and foremost, it's important to recognize that like, it is upsetting and that like, that's okay. You can, you can be upset and, you know, you, you care, you know, like, like, here's the thing, like you care deeply about what it is that, that, that you do. And, you Good know, point. it's, it's kind of like, um, I talk to a lot of people sometimes like, man, I'm like, super nervous about this workout and you know the response that you want to give them is like well don't be nervous about things that are going to make you better and that that is true that's that that, that is that is a true thing like you don't be nervous about a workout like workouts only make you better but the the thing that i always point out to them first is okay cool you're nervous wow you like really care about this huh something that's really important to you so awesome that you feel yeah. that way and when you're injured i i do think that it's important to first recognize like wow, this is like really hard for me to handle because I like, I really care about this so much. And like, I'm like feeling pretty bummed out. It's like, okay, well, like we can actually have that. You can spend some time feeling that way. But then I, then, then I agree with you. Then it's like, okay, you've given yourself some grace to feel a certain way, but like now let's leave that. And now let's actually focus. Like, like you said, Matt, about like, what can I control? What can I actually do? And the thing is, is that like you point out, there's a number of things you can do. You just have to switch your mindset to finding value in these things. Now, and and the, the hardest thing is, is that the only reason normally why people feel badly about having to modify is because of what they see others do. And this is one of the hardest things is, well, you know, I know Matt is doing, 
you know, squats, but I, I can't squat right now. I'm, I'm doing this and, you know, well, okay. Like if Matt wasn't here, would you even care? Probably not. Right. If I told you that the workout didn't have squats and it had sit-ups, but you can do sit-ups, would you care? No. Right. So it's like, it's, it's super interesting because we talked about, you know, having these community-based gyms is like so wonderful and, and it is spectacular to be able to work out with others, but it's also very hard to put the blinders on. And when you're dealing with an injury, I find everything, everything is kind of like in my, I'm like, I'm only focusing on my peripheral, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, what's everybody else doing? Like, oh my God, like everybody else gets to do all this. It's like, fuck, like that's that's so it's it's so it's so hard and this is like the 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 mental part of training you know like it is very very hard to flip the script but definitely possible but mental fitness and mental fortitude is gained the same way that physical fitness is it's through consistency through time under tension you know and so hopefully you know if you do sustain an injury, it's, it's not something substantial. It's something that you can come back from, but this is also a great opportunity for you to kind of work your mental fitness. Like, Hey, this is going to be challenging for me. And I think the, I I think the thing that people need to understand is you are not just going to flip a script and okay, Matt, you know, I, I I'm dealing, I'm dealing with a lower back injury. Right. And, and I can't do certain things. You're not just going to be able to have one day and be like, oh my God, everything is amazing. Like all these other things that I I could do, it's like, I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed. Like this is the best thing ever. It's like, no, you're probably going to wake up every single day and have to really make a conscious effort to be like, all right, I'm I'm dealing with this. These are the things that I'm going to do today. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and find value in what I'm doing. Excited, excited for this. It's, it's hard, but it's the same thing as getting physically fit. It's like, can you do this consistently? Can you put reps in on this so that like, you know, something happens six months from now, a year from now, you're like more prepared for it. You're like, Oh, well actually, you know, this is, this is part of the process. You know, I need to like, look back, see like what led to this and like, all right, I recognize like what I can do. And it's, you know, I, the really good point. You make a really good point about, um, you know, it doesn't have to be this immediate turnaround of unbridled positivity. It's okay to be a little bit upset that, you know, you got hurt. Um, it's okay to, to be a little bit bummed out or to be like, ah, oh, man, that's kind of it stinks. Like, I think that that that's natural is, you know, it's not something that, um, you know, is, is necessarily always great to just move right into this like relentless positivity type of, oh, I got this scenario. The other call thing it is, toxic positivity. Yeah. The other thing is that, um, you know, I talked about thinking about, Oh, what are all the things that you can do right away? Right. I also think you got to rest. You know, when you go through these injuries, like your body is giving you information. It's told you something that, and reacted to something that it didn't like for some reason. Right. And, your body needs time and it needs its energy to recover. So if you're constantly just like, if you go right from being injured into right from, oh, I'm going to do all this other training to all these other parts of my body and to these <laughs> yeah. other modalities that, you know, I can, can still feel good doing like, well, there's probably some credence to the fact that your body needs just some time to let itself heal. 
right? And if it's constantly just working to do all this other stuff, maybe it's not going to give the time and attention to the injury that it needs. But well, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, um, you know, there's a lot of credence to this statement about, you know, in particular, when like you get to a point in your nutrition, maybe where you've, you know, you've gained some weight or you've, um, you know, given up on maybe fitness for a while and you've slowed things down and, um, you know, injuries can be applied to this statement as well, where you're going to get better the same way and in the same time frame that you got sick. Like getting better doesn't happen overnight. And I think it's unrealistic to, to think that that's going to happen with, you know, certain injuries or conditions or states of being right. Like it takes, it takes a while, albeit you can do it pretty quickly, but it takes a while to gain a lot of weight and get sedentary and like, you know, slow all these things down in your life and give up on fitness. Like that's it. That, yes, it can happen in one fell swoop pretty quickly, but in most cases it happens over a period of, you know, many weeks and months and potentially years. The first workout or the first meal that you have back, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage every, anybody at all, not at all. But those aren't going to be just like sudden turnarounds where all of a sudden like you're back to peak physical fitness or your nutrition is now all your biomarkers are back to, you know, being within the completely optimal range. Like same with injuries. Like you have to, you have to go through the steps. You have to do the PT, you have to do the reps and you have to get better the same way you got sick. Like it was all of these repetitions. And then this moment that happened that you got injured, let's say, yeah, it's going to take all of those reps in all of those times. And then there'll be a moment when you'll be like, man, I feel great again, but it's not a mat. There's no magic pills. You know, there's no magic pills in nutrition. There's no magic pills in fitness. There's no magic pills in recovery. There's stuff that can help you for sure and can speed up the process, but steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this episode is actually sponsored by steroids and Ball. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. But no, no, this has been a fun episode, a fun conversation. Have you been paying attention at all to what's been going on in the like the CrossFit Games realm or like the you have been? Of course, man. Um, I, I couldn't be uh, less interested if you. Oh, I'm uh, I'm so I'm I'm always I'm always interested to see what's happening in the in the competitive CrossFit world because there's a changing of the guards. This is something actually that's that's really interesting that's happening right now. Is there there are some really really spectacular younger athletes, and there are some you know perennial powerhouse athletes that will be getting passed soon. It's just how it works. And this sport is so young. You, you really haven't seen a ton of the changing of the guards, you know, like, no, I, you know, not a lot at all. No, like, you know, listen, like, like Rich Froning, like, okay, Rich Froning won individual, you know, for however long, and now he's, oh, he's, he's still winning team. He's still, still involved. Now, um, like, over the semifinals, you're seeing there's like some really, really wonderful young athletes. There's this guy, uh, uh, his first name's Tudor. I, I forget, forget what his last name Tudor? is. Yeah. Um, Magda, Tudor Magda, I think his name. He is 19. I think he's 19 years old. And I think he did 
the um, the complex the, the the complex that is standard across all the semifinals at 345 pounds. It was three power cleans, two front squats, and one overhead, right? W one overhead, at, and he did it at 345. I saw that uh, Danny Spiegel is is that her name? The she's a very yeah. very like very fit uh, fit chick. She did it at two forty five and kind of made it look pretty easy. That's yeah, I could I I couldn't believe I couldn't I couldn't do that at at two at two forty five. Um, but can it's, we can um, we just take a moment to recognize how great how high that number is? I mean, for any human being walking the planet, uh, yeah, to be able to do that is beyond fucking impressive. It's crazy. But to put things into perspective. Back in the day, you know, doing a complex like that at 225 on the male side of the aisle was impressive. And let, now let me tell you. 245 for the ladies and 340 is the top end on the men's side. That is insane. You know, let, let me tell you something. I love that I tried to be a competitive athlete when I did because <laughs> you slid right into I, the, the, I, the perfect I, time frame. I could, I could be, I was kind of strong, decently strong for a low level team regional competitor. Like, I, like that, that's great because the numbers that people are putting out right now are next level. In fact, a really cool thing that happened was a female athlete that competed on um a swedish team i forget the name of the team competed on a swedish team at one of the at one of the semis two weeks later won a national weightlifting meet oh wow took gold and then um i, th I think her total was 224 kilograms so quick what's that math here minutes. That is uh, 493 pounds. So between snatching and a clean and jerk, she listed, lifted 493 pounds. So within two weeks, she competed at the top level at a CrossFit competition, semifinals. But we'll just say that her team made the games, which I hope it did. And then two weeks later, won gold in a national weightlifting meet, then proceeded to retire from weightlifting. So she oh, went wow. out on top. But anyway, it, the 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 strength numbers that um that people that people have right now are nuts and the the weights that are lifted in the metcons are also crazy heavy so i think last night at the semifinals at the granite games they had a sprint chipper and the weight for the females in this sprint chipper there was like rounds of 36 chest to bar and I think rounds of like 16 power snatches. I believe it was at like 140. So I, I'd imagine that the men's weight was something like 185 maybe. And that, that you know, this is, yeah. this is just in a, in, in a normal workout. Like it's just, it's crazy. People well, are just. You know, what's interesting is like when the sport was first starting to gain steam, there wasn't a lot of parity. There weren't a lot of people who rose to the top quickly. There was like the 30 people, right? Like whoever those 30 were, like all of the big names who really occupied the top from 2008 to 2000 and 
15, 16, maybe 17, maybe even 18. Like that's like, it was the same people. There weren't a lot of different people who came into that group. The interesting thing about this sport, and this is where I think that there's some issues that are going to happen is that those people became really, really well-known. Like they gained a lot of notoriety. Um, mm-hmm. And there were obviously, you know, outlier freaks like Frazier and Froning and those guys, they like came in and dominated. Now, all the while, while that was happening, what was happening is there was this like big growth of the sport underneath them. And all of these other young people trying to like desperately try to compete and get up with those people but never were good enough in the same time to get there. Right. Yep. But now what you have is you have a changing of the guard. Like you said, you have all those like really well-known names. A lot of those people are gone or leaving. And then you have this humongous pool of people who I'm not trying to, to shit on them or anything, but like from, for a lot of people, like you don't know these names at all. Like they're just like names of people. And there's a lot of parody now. There's a lot of people who can do all of these things and do them well. And like, it's harder, at least in my opinion now, for these people to rise to stardom because it's more competitive. They didn't have a time to establish themselves as being great yet. It maybe will happen over time, but like, I haven't seen the same type of standout um, star, star power, you know, except for a maybe a couple of people like this Mallory O'Brien person. Um, you know, she seems to have like it factor because of her age and how dominant she was as a young person. Same thing with uh, Haley, uh, Haley Adams. You know, she was another yeah. one who kind of made it through the teen journey and then made it into the top. But I think that CrossFit as a sport is going to struggle with creating notoriety behind some of these names like creating the same type of star power feeling that existed early on i don't think i think it's gonna be very hard to replicate yeah i mean i just think it's yet yet to be seen because it's just such a new sport i mean that would be like oh you know like wilt chamberlain you know how are they ever gonna have new stars you know wilt's the best and well Look yeah, at, you could make that argument at, for like Babe Ruth right. and stuff like that. Right? right. Look at look at look at all these sports. But you know, listen, the 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 bottom line is it's still a very new sport. Um, there's also, I mean, let's just call it like it is, there's just not a lot of money in this sport, and there's not a huge fan base in this sport. And listen, I'm still a fan, like I just told you, I'm I'm watching the Granite Games, Britt and I will. We'll, we'll watch some stuff. We have one of our coaches who's competing on a team. We'll, we'll, we love watching her. All the members rally behind her. I love that. But um, it's, it's, it's still, um, you know, this subculture. It's not a mainstream thing. And like you said, like that makes it very hard for there to be real stars, you know? And there certainly are, you know, like, listen, Jason Kalipa, like you're, you know, your, your buddy, you know, you, you guys work together. Like he, he is still one of the biggest names in CrossFit. Like everybody knows who Jason Kalipa is. 
you know, Rich Froning. And then of course the number one most recognizable CrossFit star, James Hobart, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the people's champ um, and a real champ. He's won the games a number of times. No, but it's, um, it, it, it's, it's definitely, definitely going to be hard for younger athletes. Um, I think things will switch up a little bit when Tia, when Tia Claire Toomey retires mm, and they're they, open field. Yep. There'll be a more open field uh, field. I, I'm not Justin Madero seems pretty, pretty like unbeatable right now. Who, who knows? You want the sport to not have one person that's always going to win. Now I loved watching Frazier win and let, let's be serious. The reason I loved watching Frazier win is because he was the anti-hero, you know, like he, because of Rich, he, he in part because, because of, of every, yeah, be, because of, because of everything, Matt, Matt Frazier came onto the scene as like, you know, like the, 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 the anti-CrossFit guy, this is, the, the guy that came over from, from weightlifting, you know, the, the, the guy that was b- before sponsored by Nike sponsored by, you Red know, Redline, Red Line. <laughs> like sp- sponsored by very small companies and coming in and wrecking house, you know, yeah. like, like, again, like I'll, I'll always remember that, that moment at Reebok where they wouldn't let him come and work out. They wouldn't let him work out because he's like, I need to wear my red line stuff. This is my, this is my sponsor. You know, I'm true to my sponsor. And they're like, no, you can't work out. Like he, he was not accepted by the field. And so that to me was like a big thing. Like, oh, this guy's like, this guy's kind of, you know, does his own thing, marches to his own tune. Like, I I think that's, I, that is an attractive thing in the sport, you know, like no, no, no offense to Rich Froning. He's, spectacular he's the 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 best crossfit athlete ever i don't want to watch rich froning like why like why why would i why would i want to watch it that's like to to me it's like oh god okay cool he's gonna win also it's why i'm a freaking celtics fan right now and i'm gonna put it out here right now if you're not watching the nba finals right now i'm I'm serious the the, the celtics me i'm boston till i die man (laughs) born in 1986 best year larry Larry Bird ever had like I I love the Celtics, but the, the Celtics are this hard nosed, defensive minded team. Yeah, they have a couple stars, but they're like this really gritty team. They're a good team to root for. Steph Curry, give me a break. Who who roots for Steph Curry? Just go eat some vanilla ice cream. Uh, like it's getting, just we're getting away from the topic here, but I I remember the Matt Frazier moment on the Northeast Regional floor at Reebok when he. Uh, seemingly came out of nowhere and dominated that weekend. Um, that was the first time when he won regionals uh, that year in the Northeast. That was uh, pretty spectacular. And yeah, he really was an outsider um, in terms of the sponsorships because you're correct that he wanted to continue to represent his buddy's company, Red Line, and that, um, and I think we might have spoke about this in the past where Reebok had an opportunity to sign him and I think he simply wanted to be able to still wear red line stuff. And he said that uh, it was, they wouldn't do the deal that way. Uh, yep. And, and Nike, Nike would. Nike was like, yeah, of course. Wear whatever you want. 
<laughs> just make sure that you wear the shoes. <laughs> right. I guess worked out. That kind of, I guess that kind of paid off, man. I guess he did. I guess he did pretty well, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, and then Reebok with the whole band thing, um, when they uh, set the rule at the games that you had to wear a Reebok footwear, uh, as opposed to wearing the footwear that you normally train in. Uh, what and, another opportunity for Nike just to come in there and be like, to make the cool statement. Well, they did. Do you remember the ad they had? Yeah, band. Yeah, band. I mean, that, that was... <laughs> It's just it that that type of stuff is really really cool. But again, this is like we're yeah now we're, we're waxing nostalgic over here. Anyway, um, hey, ultimately I'm going through something right now with my hips that is not super comfortable. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I need to seek professional help, get some some real imaging done to see what's going on. Um, I've gone through all of the different phases that we've already talked about here, and uh, ultimately got to focus on what I can control, dial in my nutrition, dial in my recovery, make sure that I'm staying positive. And if there's not pain in some of the stuff that I'm able to still do, whether or not that means just upper body stuff right now, or, you know, lightly riding the bike or going out for some walks, that's what I'm going to be doing. And if you're in the same position right now, if you're feeling like you might be injured, or if you're feeling like, you know, it's a, uh, it's a dark and, and deep place. Yes, we've been there before. And, uh, you can certainly come out the other side stronger and better. But don't, but don't, but don't search for the magic pill. Yeah, right? no magic pills. There's no magic pills. Because, <laughs> oh, forget it. I don't want to. All don't right. Well, what do you there. got going but, on today, Max? You're doing a 60 minute bike ride. Every two minutes, you're going to hop off and do 10 pull think, ups. That sounds I like a gonna, lot of pull ups. I think I'm just going to do every minute on the minute for 60 minutes, five pull ups. I think. No bike? No, I think. Well, I don't know. I think I'm going to save uh, my cardio session for later today with uh, Britt and our dog Havoc. I think I want to do some trail running with with the pup and Britt. So we'll go out and do that. And I think I'm just going to do on the minute for 60 minutes, um, five strict pull-ups. Then we have uh, we have an athlete. That's still that 300 is... pull-ups. Hell yeah. Um, we, we have an athlete that is competing in the adaptive semifinals. Nice. So she has her final workout. I'm super psyched for her. She's in fourth place, top five go, and she's 10 points out of second wheelhouse stuff for her. She gets to do a one rep max deadlift. So I'm excited to do that. Um, and then normal Sunday activities, which include grilling lots of chicken because, um, I'm going to be hundred percent honest here and I hate giving you credit like this but your food posts have really motivated uh, me to, to be better and to step my game up. So I'm going with my one plate. I'm going to go with lots of veggies, eat my chicken. I'm trying to get Jack, man. I'm, try, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get jacked. It's, it's summer. I, I want to look hot. I got a skimpy <laughs> bathing suit. I want to wear it. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing the Instagram posts about the, the nutrition, about the skimpy bathing suit. Max, I love you, buddy. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Later, man. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. 
If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go.